Guess what? This is season two of Off the Floor. You might notice a little new format, some new artwork, and we have a new producer, the talented Karen Robbins, and I'm your same old host, Chris Lynham. Thank you for listening. When you hear the term sales, does it conjure a good feeling or a bad feeling? Some people hear it and cringe, thinking of some high-pressure car salesman or that cold caller that interrupts your dinner, hawking magazine subscriptions or timeshare properties. The truth is, selling is an indispensable skill in business and persuasive communication in general. It can help with your elevator pitch or help you convince a recruiter or client why you're the right person for the job or even with an invitation to dance. Whatever level you're at in your selling game, keep listening for my conversation with one of the greatest sales and communication gurus of the last 40 years on episode 20 of Off the Floor, Mr. Tom Hopkins. Tom, why don't you introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about your story? Well, thank you, Chris. Yes, I went to a school, and every year, like a lot of schools back then, they had chocolate bars that we had to sell door to door. And, you know, they had a little award. And so I thought, you know what, I'm going to just knock on so many doors and sell so many chocolate bars. And so I won the award. And, and I, I really enjoyed the talking to strangers, having a chance to, you know, converse with them. And that's kind of when I realized that, gee, you know, it's kind of fun to get out there and talk to strangers and bring your message. So that's kind of, I guess, my very first experience when I was just a before even being a teenager, just a kid, and, and then knocking on doors and holding on a chocolate bar and having them take the bar and seeing that I was there to make money for our little parochial school. And so that's kind of how I got, I guess, into the feeling of selling and, and talking with people and helping them spend their money on whatever we were offering. My story is so similar. It's so crazy that you mentioned chocolate bars. I think every kid needs to learn how to sell and just present via chocolate bars because it's so effective. We, my buddy and I did the same thing. We didn't go door to door, but we just camped out in front of Mervyn's and just pestered everybody. <laughs> so now, uh, so who do you feel like is you know, your biggest influence when it came to sales? Was this something that you feel like that you just, was it just the chocolate sales as a kid and you kind of just had an affinity for it? Or was there someone that really you feel like influenced you a lot growing up? Well, what happened to me, Chris, was I didn't finish college. So I didn't have a degree. And at 17, when I quit college, I had no idea what I was going to do. And my dad, of course, and my mother, they were very disappointed because they were of the belief that if you don't have a college education, a degree, you'll probably never be a success at anything. And the day I came home, as a matter of fact, and walked into the uh, house, my dad was sitting there. He had just gotten home. And he says, what are you doing home? I says, dad, I made a decision today. I quit college. and my dad, I'd never really seen him cry. He was a very strong man and tears filled his eyes. And he said, son, you are my son. I'll always love you. Even though based on your decision to quit college, I'm 
pretty sure you'll never amount to anything. Mm. And wow. in a way, that was my first motivational talk. And as I, as I talk with so many of the successful people in sales and marketing in the country, many of them, if you go back through their life, they'll tell you a person or a point, uh, a happening, if you will, that was a turning point in their desire, their effort level, and so forth. And that's kind of what happened to me when I quit college. My uncle Don uh, came over for dinner that night, and he said, what are you going to do? I said, I don't know. And he said, well, you know, we've been given the uh, contract to build the bridge decks from Los Angeles up to San Francisco, and we need iron workers. I, uh, <laughs> I did that for a year. Uh, luckily, what happened to me is my dad, after watching me carry steel and my uncle bragging about how hard I worked, my dad came over to my little apartment and said, Tom, you know, you got a nice way with people. I don't know if you want to carry steel all your life. Uh, why don't you get a real estate license? You're now 18. And in California, you can get a real estate license. And of course, my immediate thing was, Dad, I'm not that smart. I can't pass an exam. I, I, I just can't do it. And he chided me and convinced me to try. And sure enough, I failed the darn real estate exam three times. And the fourth time I passed. And so now I have a license, but I have no dress clothes. Back then, <laughs> there was a kind of a certain time minimum, mm -hmm. but I didn't have one. You know, high school kids don't have shirts and ties and stuff. So <laughs> I didn't have that. And I didn't have a car. I had a motorcycle. So I literally, Chris, started going to real estate offices trying to get someone to hire me. And back then, it was a middle-aged man's business, the real estate business. Uh, there were very few teenagers in the business. And so I couldn't get anybody to hire me. And, and of course, I'd drive up on my motorcycle and normally <laughs> after work, and I'd be covered in dirt from the steel. And, and so, you know, I just couldn't get anybody to hire me. And luckily, one guy, I, I went to maybe five or six offices, and this one guy you know, he said, how old are you? I said, well, I'm 18, but I got my license. And he says, well, where's your car? I, I said, I don't have one. That's why I got to get into real estate, make some money to buy a car. <laughs> so anyway, God bless him. He said, well, we do have a dress code. And if you'll show up here Monday at eight for our meeting, and of course, have your suit and tie. And so God, right away, I panicked. But what, I didn't know what I was going to wear. And, and when I was 16, Chris, I played in a band. And we went to see the Beatles when the first time they came to Los Angeles, the Hollywood Bowl. Oh, wow. And they had these LeMay bright silver suits. <laughs> and so I went to our band. I said, guys, we got to have these suits made. And so we had silver lame. I even put a velvet collar on them. And uh, that next mo Monday morning, I drove my motorcycle and my band uniform. <laughs> it was so funny because I was kind of slipped in the back and the broker was up having a meeting. And he said, everybody, listen up. That kid standing there in the back who drove in here on a motorcycle, He's our new associate, 
And if that kid on a motorcycle dressed in that band uniform can make a living, <laughs> I expect all of you to get rich. And, and, and that was kind of how I started. But the person who influenced me the most, uh, I didn't do well in the beginning in real estate. Uh, I, I think it was about four months before I made my first sale. But then the company hired a man named J. Douglas Edwards. And J. Douglas Edwards, back in the 60s, his title was the father of American selling. And he had a record, this is before cassettes even, he had a record called Closing the Sale, the 13 Basic Closes. And all of us got that darn record. I wore out a bunch of them. Bye. But he was the first person that taught Sell. me this art of selling, that it's not luck, wit, charm, smile, glib. So you have to know what to say, how to be a master asker of questions, and you really have to be a pro. So he was my first experience. And here's what's so funny, that, and people find this hard to believe, but I spent eight years in real estate, five listing and selling homes as a salesperson, and then three managing uh, one of the top Cobalt Banker offices. And I, after uh, almost eight years, I, I said, you know what, I'm going to do nothing but teach people. And so I started writing my first book, How to Master the Art of Selling. And then, of course, you know, there's an old biblical saying that a, a prophet is not honored in his own land. <laughs> And so I thought, you know what, I'm going to open up a training business. And sure enough, I was invited to go to Phoenix and a man had a real estate school that he wanted to sell. And so I moved my family and everybody in California that knew me as the top realtor and Cobalt Banker said, what are you nuts? You're giving this up? And I said, you know, I am. I, I just feel it's right. This man's offered me to buy his real estate school, which will be a business. I then can really work on my art of speaking and teaching. And here's what's amazing, Chris. Out of 4 million approximate people living in Arizona, I knew Mr. Edwards, again, the man that started me in selling, that he lived in Arizona. So I wrote him a note. I said, Mr. Edwards, I'm Tom Hopkins. I've been every six months to see you and you've changed my life. And I, uh, I'm moving to Phoenix to go into a real estate school training situation. And well, anyway, I'm moving in and you know, helping the, the movers unpack the truck. And all of a sudden, uh, I hear this voice, is Tom Hopkins here? And of course, I turned around and there standing in my garage is Mr. J. Douglas Edwards. Wow. I said, Mr. Edwards, what are you doing here? He said, well, I got your note and I, he said, I thought I should welcome my new next door neighbor to the area. <laughs> so here I bought a home, Chris, not having any idea where he lived right next door. He was really next door? Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I, you, you, I could have never believed it. <laughs> wow. But I became like his second son. And I, I would say every other weekend, I'd spend two or three hours at his place, having him teach me the art of speaking, the art of motivating people. And, you know, that was life changing there again. And I also believe that if your attitude is right and you're focused on your short and long-term goals properly, that doors will open and the right people in the right place and can come into your life. And it can be 
uh, a life-changing event. Wow, that is so incredible. Just to think that this this guy that you looked up to so so much and that he ends up being next door to you and that's gosh, I mean, what's talk about serendipity. Yeah, it really is. And, and of course, I pinched myself and I thought, well, you know, God was blessing me with uh, an opportunity because uh, I sat at his feet as a student learning. And he was one of the greatest speakers, greatest trainers. Uh, we'd we'd had, go to these big programs where all these big speakers were there, Norman Vincent Peale and uh, Og Mandino and all these greats. And Mr. Edwards would walk out. And, and most of the people in the audience weren't taking many notes, but when he walked out, you could just hear coats open, paper come out. Hmm. And because he taught very how-to usable training. And of course, when he passed away uh, many years ago, I uh, purchased from his uh, trust, his wife, all of his training, all of his records, then I put them on cassettes, and now, of course, I have all of his famous records on CDs. So, wow. you know, some some people say, "Gee, I want to hear the man that taught Tom." <laughs> it, the, I have an album CD program called "Back to the Future in Sales." I took all of his records and put them onto the CD, and then I come in afterwards and, you know, show how how we've tuned this this technique up for the the times today. Oh, that is wonderful. I probably should have asked this at the very beginning because I think, you know, sales can sometimes have this negative connotation and and yet it's really, you know, like a marriage proposal is a sales pitch. I always say that my the best sales pitch of my wife of my life was getting my wife to marry me. Um <laughs> so uh but but what's your take on that? Like when when people kind of bring that up, I'm sure that's come up in seminars and things like that. How do you respond to that when people say that sales might be a dirty word or it might might seem sort of negative? Well, there's a lot of truth to that and the, I think one of the reasons is the overall field of sales is somewhat easy to get into. Uh, many companies advertise and if you are breathing and can fog up a mirror, <laughs> they'll hire you. <laughs> and many of the salespeople who are not professional then hurt consumers either by being high pressure or pushy. And that's one of the challenges is many people have had a bad past experience, which they relive. And, and that's why they're not only afraid of it, the, the salesperson, but they don't like the thought of being sold. Yet here we are, the greatest consuming nation on earth. And the companies that prosper most uh, do it because they have a sales force or they have people at point of sale that know how to lead a person to the buying decision. And, you know, we have about 11 million, approximately 11 million people in the field of sales and marketing in our country. And these people are so fundamentally important because they are the ones that make it happen. And, you know, there's that old trite saying that nothing happens till someone sells something. Mm. And I totally believe that. Uh, when I travel the world and go to China or uh, Singapore, Malaysia, these people in other countries just love our American selling concepts, our strategies, our technique. And normally our seminars are sold out in almost every country we go. 
because we're teaching them very honest, ethical, high integrity ways of building a selling career. Hmm. So, so just in your out and about kind of like consumer, if just, if you had your consumer hat on, what are some industries where you feel like, you know, like you said, you know, that, that they really do it well, that, that if more industries like this could be around, uh, they'd maybe kind of turn the tide on that negative connotation on sales. Well, I will say this as an example, Home Depot uh, has probably the finest people on the floor. They are not only very professional, they come across with a tremendous degree of wanting to serve than to sell. And they're a company that I think has spent more time and effort and resources getting their people to have people skills. And that I think is one thing that uh, so many people lack. They're in sales, but they have never been taught the proper approach, the opening greeting, uh, what to say to relax people and so forth, which of course I've tried to dedicate my life and all of my books to giving salespeople what to say, how to say it, when to say it, and of course, practice what you do. You are an artist in a way, you know, a famous artist uses a paintbrush to create an image. Well, in selling, we, our paintbrush is the words we say, our phraseology, how we come across, uh, how we master the art of asking questions. It's kind of like saying that it's an art form that can be learned. I, I've had people say that to me, and or I've had that in a question and answer period at my seminars. They go, Tom, can, can anyone do well in sales? And I always come across with this answer that anyone can do well if they become a student of the art form mm. and if they find a mentor, someone who they like and trust, someone who they relate to, that in essence, they can follow and become a student of. Find out someone in the company who is really the top or one of the top income earners. And most of them are nice, nice folks. Ask if they'd mind if you kind of went along and watched them and listened to them on the phone. And, and many of them will say, hey, I'll mentor you. You bet, I'll help you get started. Uh, after I went to a couple of Mr. Edwards' seminars, he suggested we find a mentor, the top producer. And back then in California with this company, there was a woman named Rose Lane who was the number one listing agent, the number one selling agent. And I, again, was just 18 uh, and I called her and I said, Mrs. Lane, I'm brand new in real estate, scared to death, don't know what I'm doing. And I was given advice to find a top producer and you are obviously. And I would be so honored if you'd let me come along with you and watch you and listen to you. And she was so gracious. She said, fine, I'll take you on with me when I show homes. I'll let you come with me when I take a listing. And so there again, a door opened to where I had a mentor and I could learn from a top producer. And that's what I always suggest people do. Then internalize what you're learning to make it yours. So you, you in, in other words, you have taken what they say or do and make it you and, and internalize it. Oh, I love that. And I mean, I think it's, it's really also easy to overlook from a, from a personal growth standpoint, how big the move is to be able to admit that you need a mentor. I think a lot of times, especially these days, people have such an ego 
I mean, maybe this is a universal thing, but people have that ego where they can't get past the fact that, you know, they have to admit that they're not really good, even if they are just starting out. So that was a huge move on your part just to be able to say, I do need a mentor. So what what do you think made you prepared to do that? Was it just where was your ego in all of this to be able to get to that point to say that you that you needed one? One thing that I have always been is very coachable. And that is something that folks listening to us, I think, have to realize that many people in, in, in business, overall in business, they're not real coachable. They want to do it their own way. They want to not find mentors because they feel they're pretty good. And the sad truth is they could double or triple their income in half the time and effort if they were to do the search process for a mentor and you know, learn from someone who's hitting the ball farther and harder than they are. Mm. And that's, that's something that I, I and, and again, they, I've always had a little philosophy. Show me your income and I'll listen to you based on how well you do. <laughs> and, and that's why Rose Lane, there was no doubt she was the highest income earning realtor, maybe in all of California that year. And so I just went with her, listened to her, watched her, and took what she did and made it mine. And then when I went to Mr. Edwards and he put me through his three-day program closing course, I stayed up all night studying. I learned all the phraseology that he taught in his uh, outlines. And then, of course, I think people have to try to find their niche in life, uh, which was what real estate was for me. And, and I call the niche is you find a business that you earn an income from that you love that it is not work. And I always say work is anything you're doing when you'd rather do something else. Mm. And so if you look at my life, I don't think I've ever worked other than that one year of carrying steel. <laughs> but once I got into sales, once I fell in love with real estate, once I started earning the large income and winning awards and getting a new car and buying a beautiful home, when all those things started happening, you know, I not only fell in love with selling, but I worked my tail off. You know, Chris, in the first three years in real estate, I took three Christmas days off. Wow. And that's fanatical. <laughs> but I, I don't believe I would have had that one year of selling 365 homes, which is an average of one a day, which had never been done in real estate. I don't think that would have happened had I not been a fanatical worker for that first two to three years. 365 homes in one year? That's Yeah, yeah. <laughs> in fact, it was about November 15th. And my manager called me into the office. He says, Tom, I don't know if you know what you're doing. I said, well, I'm working my tail off to list and sell homes. He goes, I know. And you don't realize that I just did some computations and you've been averaging average one home a day. And if you can continue this and if you can reach the goal of 365 home sales in one year, you will set a platform where people will hire you, will beg you to come and teach because you'll have set a record. Because see, back then, the average realtor, and today, if a, if a real estate agent sells three to four homes a month, they are home run hitters. They are the best. And so that's why a lot of people, they, they uh, cause see the art of closing a sale, you can't teach it unless you've done it. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's like golf. You know, if you wanted to, 
be a bad golfer. Let me show you how I play and copy me and you'll never break a hundred. So <laughs> golf is not my expertise, but real estate was my niche. And of course now uh, writing books and doing seminars, that's my niche today. But uh, all these ideas, I th so hope the folks listening will take them to mind and to heart uh, because they all have worked in my life. And of course, we've had 5 million people come to my live seminars. So I guess it's working. Oh my gosh. Are you kidding me? I, your, your name is spoken with reverential tones all throughout Arthur Murray Dance Studios. I'll tell you that right now. Oh, you'll have to say them. Tell, tell your folks uh, how, how much I enjoyed this short visit with you and let them know that, you know, what they do is so, so important. And, and my mom and dad were, they didn't make a living at it, but they were as close to professional dancers as any couple you'll ever see. Wow. And my mother, God bless her here, I'm, I think I'm 12 or 13. She says, Tommy, and I was always Tommy when I was young. She said, Tommy, dancing can change your life. And so your father and I love it. And what we would love to do is have you and any of your football friends on Saturday. Let's spend an hour and we'll teach you how to dance. And of course, you know, the foxtrot and the, the different dances and the waltz. And so we would spend uh, most Saturdays after the football learning how to dance. So it's, it's become a very important. When my wife and I walk on the dance floor on a cruise or at a place, I mean, we, we really do a beautiful job. And, and we just love it because people come up and they go, golly, you, you guys are professionals. I go, no, we're not, but we sure love dancing. And, and my wife, of course, is not only a just beautiful, beautiful woman, but she's an eloquent dancer as well. So that's also, you know, another part of our life. Oh, that is so wonderful. I mean, it's, and there's so many great parallels between just, you know, the, the confidence that you acquire by speaking to people and then the confidence that it takes for people to step onto the dance floor and, and both are just a step outside your comfort zone. And, and, and talk about that. Like, have you seen any, did you notice any parallels between learning how to dance and, uh, and then learning how to, you know, to, to sell people? Well, you know, let's face it. Uh, I think that, you know, back when I was single and, and we'd go out to these fox hops and uh, at these little school dances, yeah, I would usually end up with the nicest looking gal <laughs> if I wanted because I could take her and you know, get her dancing with a nice, you know, move and this and that. So, yeah, I mean, I had a lot of good opportunities with ladies because of dancing. So, <laughs> you know, it's been a real home run. Yeah. My, my dad started dancing before I did, and that's how he met my stepmother. They're still married today, but they met, uh, you know, doing ballroom dance lessons. And so, uh, so he's always a really great example of that. So you, you just you, you hit it right on the head. Yeah, super, super. So, so now, like, if you think about, so really quick about your, that dynamic with your, with your dad and just, I think a lot of people can, can start a new career and they can feel sort of like that, that imposter syndrome for a while and you're kind of seeking that validation. So when was the point when you really became successful in real estate 
where you feel like your dad kind of really validated. Did you guys ever have any closure on that, you know, after the leaving college? Oh, yeah. Yeah. In fact, what was so funny is my dad is the one that chided me to consider real estate uh, because my uncle told my dad that I was the hardest worker on the steel, carrying more, faster, and a lot of the older guys, you know, I'm talking 30, 40-year-old guys, they didn't want to even work with me because I really wanted to work hard and fast and carry the steel, and which is what makes the profit to the company you're working for, of course. But uh, uh, that's kind of when I realized that, hey, I can outwork people. And if you do that for a while, you'll build a reputation, momentum, and of course, build a following of people if you, you know, are, are outstanding at what you do. Um, and of course, I still listen and, and read and try my best to be a student as well. But uh, yeah, it, it's, it's just been a fabulous life. Wow, that's wonderful. So now if, if you had to think about, you know, there's like the service-based industry, we've had a couple of big hits. You know, if you think about companies like Toys R Us, most notably, it was kind of a, it was a heartbreaking moment for me to have to share that with my kids that they were closing down. Um, so if you could go back and, and do a seminar with some of these companies like Sports Authority or Toys R Us, like what would you, what would you encourage them to do differently for them to stay relevant in today's economy? Well, I, I think they need to have an outside force that has a reputation and is known. Um, Chrysler, of course, many people don't realize this, but Chrysler was so close to going bankrupt. And Lee Iacocca, who then became the president and the leader of that whole company, through his selling skills, uh, by getting on a plane and literally hitting almost every Chrysler dealership, and putting in incentives and doing what leadership does, you know, they turned that company around. And of course it's, you know, one of the most popular automobile businesses in the world today. And it comes back to giving training to people. So, so many companies will hire a person, say, there's your desk, there's your phone, lots of luck, buddy, you're on your own. And <laughs> the, the poor rascals don't have much of a chance. And you can't learn selling just by waiting to have it start happening. Uh, I had to go through that. And so there again, I come back to, if you are coachable, find a coach that you learn from and let them help you build your, your career, which I think makes an awful lot of sense. There's people that have walked the road you want to walk, and all you have to do is let them show you the, the steps. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And now, you know, considering just how everything has changed, you know, over the years and we're, 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 we don't have as many of, you know, Amazon and companies like that have really changed the dynamic of just the brick and mortar retailers. How do you feel like your style has changed over the years? Or do you feel like it's, you can still kind of preach the same principles, but just, you know, changing the medium a little bit? That's very good, uh, Chris. The, the cultures change. The, the basic fundamentals of selling and marketing, any product or service, those fundamentals will never change. You do have to adapt them to the times, to the culture. And one of the challenges in, in the overall field of sales is the average consumer has access to so much knowledge today that they can, through the internet, or if they walk in looking for a car, they may have as much knowledge as their sales rep who's going to try to show and demo and close the sale on a car and same with real estate. You know, a lot of the people that 
are going to make the biggest investment that they all ever make, which is a, a home. They have done research. They have used Zillow and found out all that's going on in the real estate market. They have comparables that they can get on their own, which, of course, back when I was in the original real estate business, that was not even possible. So you have to be smarter and sharper today than you ever had to be in the past because your consumer has so much more knowledge than they used to have. Hmm. So the, you, from, from that standpoint now, you've mentioned some really great things. You need to be a hard worker. You need to find a mentor. You need to be able to learn the phraseology. What would be something else that you would encourage you know, some people that are in this field or considering this field? What would be something else that you would think that, that would be a, like another missing ingredient that they need to add to their toolkit? Well, I come back to finding that mentor in the company. Um, that I think is so important. Uh, most of the top income earners I ever met love to help people who are new, love to have people who are not making it a lot of money, teach them what to say and do to make the money. And so that I think is a, a follow-up action item. And I also feel like uh, we all have 86,400 seconds in a day. No one has any more, no one has any less. But I think that time planning and organization is so critical to build a successful, not only a career, but a life. And I think that uh, many people don't are, are either procrastinate on their time or they aren't focused on their short and long-term goals. And they haven't sat down and said, I have to talk to this many people a day to get this many people to hear my message. Then I'll close this many transactions. And so I need to do this, this, this daily, weekly, monthly to generate the income that I want as to uh, have my financial independence in my golden years. I, before we finish, I definitely want to talk about what you've got coming up next. You've been such a prolific speaker and writer, and that in and of itself is such a credit to you know just all of these things that you've mentioned about hard work and dedication and just the, the process of writing. Um, what do you have coming up in the pipeline? What's what's next on your agenda? Well, I've got a couple things. Um, uh, on this thing on prospecting, I, I had a co-author of uh, work on a book with me, and it's called Fill Your Funnel. And uh, Don Portick and I wrote, wrote this new book, and it's coming out in, in a couple months. Uh, but also, you know, one thing I decided to do years ago was there are people going into sales or, or who are in sales and they're financially, you know, not real well off right now. So we put together what we call a free resource page. And if anyone goes to my website, tomhopkins.com, there is a free resource page where we have all of our thank you notes, some fabulous letters, we have some ideas that they can have for no cost as part of getting them started and, of course, adding to their growth. And our, our goal, of course, is if they're thrilled with what we gave them as a gift, that as they mature and prosper, they'll continue to invest in our books and CDs and DVDs and build a library of our, our training. And, of course, I, I am going to have more seminars. I am not retiring. And so they can come and go to our website and find out where we're going to be having a seminar and they may want to just say hey we're going to have a 
tax deductible trip. So it might be a home run for them to come see a live presentation. Yeah, absolutely. So, so now just, you know, kind of thinking about everything and what we've talked about, what's, you know, for you at this stage of your career, like what really keeps you the most energized and motivated? Like what keeps you feeling like this is not work and you're just, you know, still just following your heart? I think the main thing is I'll walk out on a stage in a city and at the break, uh, a man or woman in their 60s or 70s will come up to me and say, Tom, I know you don't recognize me, but 30 years ago, I was brand new in sales and I went to your seminar and I'm here today to thank you. I've used all of your training for years and this is my people that I brought. And they'll have 75 of their salespeople and from their company who they have brought. And I think that would be the thing that keeps me excited. And what I do is when I go to a city, I will get one of the highest income earning salespeople who is out in the street of sales right now. And I will literally pick their brains as to what's working, what's the newest things happening in selling. So I, I keep updating my training based on what I'm learning from people who are out in the street of sales every day. And I think that's important. Uh, I try to get people to change to become the person they dream of, and I can't be any different. I have to be willing to change, to adapt. Um, a lot of times I'll ask an audience, the people who've been with me two or three times, to maybe write down some of the things they're doing that are working. So I'm constantly gathering data and trying my best to bring to the salespeople in our country stuff that is culturally sound for the times that we're in today. That's wonderful. So now just a final thought, if you had to just kind of wrap it up with uh, a message for people, whether they are you know, new in their career, whether they have new in their, in their hobby, whatever the case is in their learning process, what, what would you like to, to share to them? Everybody needs a mission statement. And I call mine the champion creed. And the folks listening may want to jot this down. I'm going to say it twice. I'm not judged by the number of times I fail, but by the number of times I succeed. And the number of times I succeed is in direct proportion to the number of times I can fail and keep trying. And see, that is the essence. Uh, I totally believe in life, in business, you've never failed until you quit. Now, if you quit, you've written the ticket. You're done. But if you're still fighting and striving and doing your best to make more sales, then you, you're going to eventually break through. And so, again, I'm not judged by the number of times I fail, but by the number of times I succeed. And the number of times I succeed is in direct proportion to the number of times I can fail and keep trying. Oh, wow. That is that is some absolute gold for everybody that is listening. I hope that you wrote that down. This has been Tom Hopkins. Thank you so much for taking the time out of your busy schedule. And I'm going to tell you right now, if your next door neighbor puts their house on the market, you need to call me right away because I will I'll take it in a second. Okay. <laughs> all, the, all the best to you, Chris. Thank you all for listening and just have a wonderful forever. Bye now.
There is no way a bad salesperson could sell 365 houses in a year. No way. Even if they were listing every available home on the market, that abundance and quantity wouldn't make up for their lack of quality. If you don't have a heart for helping people, then just forget about it. Now, an average salesperson may want to help people, but they may also get in their own way. They can easily let initial success become the enemy of prolonged success, and so you could count them out too. You know, John Wooden once said that talent is God-given, be humble. Fame is man-given, be grateful. Conceit is self-given, be careful. Okay, care, humility, talent, and gratitude. You put it all together, and you have someone who is coachable. Add a work ethic like a guy lugging steel on his shoulder all day for a few decades, and you may come close to a guy like Tom Hopkins. And we could all benefit from being a salesperson like him. I want to thank you for listening to Episode 20, Season 2 of Off the Floor.